there is an indefinable, mysterious power that pervades everything. I feel it, though I do not see it. Almighty God has only sent one religion, but He has sent many messengers. When He sent messengers who got messages, by the passage of time, the message got changed. We must especially guard against the simplistic reductionism which sees only good or evil, or if you will, the righteous and sinners. Many Christian monks and nuns, their way of life in their monastery or nunnery, almost exactly the same as Buddhist uh, as monks and nuns. Very similar. One time I visited in southern France on top of the mountain, one very isolated monastery there. They invited me. I went there. Uh, I noticed that monastery, thousand-year-old monastery, their daily routine and way of life and simplicity is almost the same that Buddhist monastery. So at that time, I jokingly told them, in the past, we have no connection, contact, no contact. But the same practice. Why? Perhaps same source. That was the Dalai Lama supposing that the reason that the core aspects of some religions overlap is because they result from the same source. When discussing suffering as it relates to the approaches of religious difference explored in this podcast, it's clear to see that the exclusivist viewpoint leads to a much greater amount of suffering than the other options. Not just in the forms of war, death, and genocide as mentioned before, but also societal and cultural discrimination and ostracism. And these exclusivist perspectives are formulated based on instructions on a page or a few pages that you can flip over or line through with great ease. It is apparent that the other approaches to religious difference are much better for individuals and communities and that they allow the religious of all kinds and the secular to prosper in the most free and tolerant setting possible. That is especially true of religious pluralism, which is the stance that all religions are true and arrive at the same destination. This requires a degree of flexibility on behalf of the believer. There have been a few advocates of religious pluralism throughout the years, none quite as vocal as English theologian and philosopher John Hick. Hick advocated for religious pluralism on the grounds that religion is based in experience and that the organized aspects of religion were merely a mode of conveying and proliferating the religions built on experience. Essentially, that texts were not literal, but merely modes of framing the undescribable essence of religions within a metaphorical context for better understanding and consumption. We return to the metaphor from the first podcast of trying to fit cores of religion into sheaths to wield the unwieldable. Hick was definitely onto something in both the advocacy for religious pluralism and the belief in the incomprehensible essence of religion. This is what he referred to as the transcategorical, the incompressible nature of Western gods and the Eastern ultimate reality of moksha, nirvana, and brahma share the most fundamental aspect to all arguments of religion. 
They are known to their believers as incomprehensible in either power, benevolence, or presence. Essentially, all major religions center around a being or a force that is more powerful, good, or present than the human mind can begin to understand. That is to say, all religions agree that there is no way to truly understand their ultimate force. This is the trans-categorical. The accusation always comes, doesn't it, that if it's so utterly beyond, uh, how can you say anything about it? In a uh, sense, we can't say anything about it except that it is uh, a reality. Um, you see, I, I, I think we have to stress the mystical strand in all of the traditions. Sure. And in, in mysticism, you, you may directly, in meditation, for example, you may directly experience there being a reality beyond, which, um, um, such that if only you could live in its presence permanently, you would never have anything to be afraid of or to be anxious about. Um, so in a sense, although you're not saying anything about the ultimate reality, you are, um, in a sense, you're presupposing something mm. about it. Yeah. Because we're persons, we, we more or less have to think of the reality beyond us as personal. But that, that's because we are persons. Right, right. But that doesn't mean that it is like <laughs> us in that respect. This is an audio clip from an interview with the late John Hay, where he describes his thoughts that any attempt to assign details to God is merely a presupposition made by the believer. Whether you're coming from your own religion or a viewpoint that the overlapping themes of all religions seem to be the most important aspects, you cannot avoid this transcategorical notion that God or the ultimate reality is undefinable. We return to the analogy of describing the ocean from a minuscule sample. If you cannot even begin to understand it, then how can you truly define it? All attributes we ascribe to God are presuppositions of the unknowable reality. Where these overlap is the common core of most religions. The differing ancillary details where the problem of religious difference begins are presuppositions as well. And this is where the practice of religion, or hypothesizing about the inconceivable ultimate reality, goes awry. In 1935, Austrian physicist Erwin Schrödinger devised a thought experiment to simplify the notion of superposition. The now famous experiment surrounds an elaborate setup with a cat placed in a steel chamber with a 50-50 chance at being poisoned by hydrochloric gas. If the poison is not released, the cat lives. If the poison is released, the cat dies. If this experiment was completed 10,000 times, 5,000 times would result with a dead cat and 5,000 times would result with a living cat. Now this was used to illustrate that when the lid is closed, the cat is in a state of superposition. In theory, the cat is both dead and alive simultaneously. And it's only when we open the lid that we, the observers, drive the arrival at one of these two conclusions. Dead cat or a live cat. Now I'm going to sidestep the quantum mechanics debate on whether or not this is an actuality. <clears throat> it's merely a thought experiment, but I'm going to use the framework to analogize religious belief. Imagine that the same setup exists, but instead of a regular cat, we're placing a multicolored cat in the box. One that is constantly changing hue, brightness, color at irregular intervals. 
so there's no discernible pattern. This color changing cat has the same likelihood of dying as it does living. So the superposition of alive or dead exists for the purpose of this thought experiment. But now not only the living state of the cat is in question, but so too is its appearance. Closing the box will put us right where we find ourselves today. We know the state of things as they were going into the box, just as we know many different details about the various religions of the world. We have a deep understanding of the physical world around us and can track down historical events that completely support claims in many religious texts. And arguments based on objective fact can be used to support the existence of Jesus, Buddha, and Muhammad, among other extremely significant religious figures. In the same way, we know that we put a cat in that box and have many observations to factually depict the state of things preceding us boxing this cat. However, with the box now closed and a complete lack of ability to see inside of it, we cannot say with certainty what will happen to this cat. Just as without any evidence in absolute support of or denial of a higher power, it is only when we die that we will know the existence or lack of a god with certainty. Now this may upset or appall some ardent believers of faith, and it can be hard to hear if you're hearing it wrong, or even if you're hearing it right. But that is why they call it faith, and part of the reason religion can be such a beautiful thing. The only reason I'm making this podcast is because faith becomes a false certainty sometimes, and it leads to massive suffering that should never occur, especially in the name of God. The second factor here is the color of our multicolored cat. Maybe that cat will come out alive and well, looking like a mix of purple and pink, or maybe maroon, or maybe green. Maybe the truth when we finally open the box will be that some older version of Christianity was correct, and over time the truth was obscured by dogma. Maybe the universe most mirrors the ancient Vedic perspectives that evolved into Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism. Maybe L. Ron Hubbard totally nailed it and Xenu will usher us into our next life. Or perhaps the cat is dead and maybe the only thing that awaits us is oblivion. Or on a lighter note, maybe the truth is so flexible beyond the human capacity to understand that all religions are right to some degree or in total. The truth is, there is no valid claim to know the truth about God. There is only a claim to think you know the truth. And no person should ever harm another in the pursuit of an unknowable truth. Variously throughout the podcast, I've mentioned that religious texts must be taken with a grain of salt because they have these contradictory ideas within them. Which is accurate, and a simple Google will illuminate this to anyone who argues against it. Combining that fact with the concept of an incomprehensible God, and an absence of facts supporting their existence, you're left with only one rational approach to religion, which is a flexible perspective. This is the epitome of religious pluralism. Now there is an instant recoil from religious communities at large when the mention is made of contradictions within the religious texts, like the Bible or the Quran. However, as I said, a short investigation will show this to be true. This is not earth-shattering, and it does not necessarily invalidate one's religious beliefs. In fact, 
It is a discussion point for most major academically trained religious leaders that guide most organized religions. I remember as a younger, more faithful man, this fact struck me as terrifying. But soon I saw it was also liberating. Not only was it liberating for me as a young man who was restricted by certain morality laws that didn't make any sense, but most importantly, for humanity's sake, it was also freeing to allow for interpretation by the reader and the flexibility of belief. It fosters the open-minded notions such as, if I can't actually comprehend God's power or benevolence enough to try to define them, then I cannot take the religious text to be 100% accurate because it tries to do just that. Therefore, I mustn't confine myself to every single line of this text's instructions. The same line of thinking drives the thought that one cannot denounce another religion with absolute confidence in the righteousness of this action, because absolute factual knowledge of God or the details surrounding religion or the righteousness of one's actions does not exist. This does not undermine one's faith but merely enables a believer to sidestep the inflexible and harmful passages within certain religious texts. While I fear that taking this podcast seriously may incite anger, despair, or revolt, I hope you as the listener can carry on to understand the importance of the podcast's general theme, which is interreligious perspectives and open-mindedness. And I hope that you can also understand my motive for doing this, which is not to cast out religious belief or to drive people from their faith. But instead, I just want to enable believers to have the slightest bit of flexibility that is clearly and critically needed in this world in order to prevent massive suffering that we can observe on a near daily basis around the world that is a direct result of some people's unchallengeable belief in their God. We begin in India, which is reeling from a militant attack that has killed at least 40 paramilitary police. An explosive-laden car drove into the convoy at Pulwama, just short of the main city of Srinagar. Pakistan-based terror group jaish e mohammed has claimed responsibility for the attack. Two bombs have exploded at a cathedral in the town of Holo in the southern Philippines. At least 18 people were killed and scores others wounded. The first blast occurred during Sunday mass, sending churchgoers rushing outside where a second bomb detonated. Amnesty International claimed yesterday that no fewer than 60 people were killed in the January 28, 2019 attack on Rand, Borno State, by Boko Haram. A suicide attack on Wednesday on a Revolutionary Guards bus in southeastern Iran killed 27 troops and left 13 others injured. The official news agency of Iran said that the suicide attack happened on the Khash Zahidan Road when a car filled with explosives blew up besides the bus carrying a unit of the Guards Ground Forces. The site intelligence group reported that the attack was claimed by Jaish al-Adl, a jihadist group formed in 2012 as a successor to the Sunni extremist group Jundallah, which waged a deadly insurgency against Iranian targets over the past decade. As worshippers gather for mass, terror shatters their Easter prayers. Moments later, chaos fills the streets outside the sacred shrine of St. Anthony. Three churches were targeted simultaneously. Inside the church of St. Sebastian, 
a scene of devastating damage. The blast ripped apart the roof and peppered the walls with shrapnel. The dead and injured are carried out as their families stand by shocked. I heard the explosion and then the roof fell on us. We took the children and ran out from the rear door. But when I came to the hospital, I saw my brother-in-law and son on the ground. After a 19-hour siege on the Dusit B2 hotel and office complex, the attack was over. A few hundred metres from the scene of the assault, families, relatives and friends of those who lost loved ones gathered to identify the bodies. Margaret Jo spoke of frantic effort made by her daughter and some friends to find Ojo's knees. In the end, her daughter had to inform the niece family that she had been killed. She rang the sister and told the sister, you better come back, come in. News is not very good. Your sister is here. So she came back and found her sister there, dead. <laughs> then after that, she rang, she rang me. I think it's enough. <laughs> this is suffering. And this is suffering that is the result of exclusivism in 2019 alone. Over a thousand people have been killed this year because somebody thought that they believed in the wrong religion. I started releasing this podcast in January with the intention of publishing all five episodes in short order. Instead though, during the release while performing my professional duties, I literally witnessed the aftermath of one of these atrocities in person and I decided to wait and re-record an updated version of this episode as a result. I saw the dead victims of this event with my own eyes. I tried to stop the bleeding with my own hands, and I struggled for words of consolation that just don't exist. I say this only to impress upon you that this is not a victimless problem, nor is it a problem that only rears its head once in a while. In fact, the victims of this problem suffer some of the most horrendous experiences known to man. Sure, it's probably not going to be the best experience to die for any of us. However, being blown up in a religious center and seeing your children vaporized, only to die from agony and infection weeks later, is a much, much worse death than the kind that await the majority of us. And this type of death, with the exception of war, is somehow only reserved for the innocent and those who threaten the most extreme believers. Again, this is the result of religious exclusivism. Faith can be an incredibly beautiful thing, but it comes with the risk of leading to suffering under the guise of being religiously justified. I would argue that no suffering could ever be labeled as just when it's based on the discussed objective uncertainty of religion. For all these reasons, it seems that the only logical decision for those who want to live a faithful life is to live that faithful life well, but also to stop short of causing suffering in others' lives, whether they be non-believers or believers of a different faith. English philosopher William Kingdon Clifford once said that no person should have any belief based on insufficient evidence. I don't wholly agree with this because there are plenty of things we may never know, and that should not preclude belief. 
such as a belief in God, or a belief in other universes or dimensions, or a belief in any other form of abstract ideas, like love and reality. So I've improved upon this notion. No person should ever negatively impact another based on insufficient evidence when given ample time for consideration. It's not exactly an easy takeaway quote, but I'll work on it. In the meantime, here's one that's perhaps a little bit more easily committed to memory. The right to swing your fist ends where another person's nose begins. Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. I realize that the tail end of this production has been a bit of a downer, and I don't want to leave it that way. On the surface, it is a tragic truth that life cannot be devoid of pain and suffering. However, the sweet would not be as sweet without the sour. And a blanket is not appreciated until a cold sweeps in. Just because there are problems in the world, which there will always be, we should not despair. Instead, we should work together to improve that which needs improving and truly appreciate that which does not. As imperfect as this world may be, it is truly beautiful. And though it may seem hard to see sometimes, that beauty is always there. I hope that you can find it whenever you want to. And if you ever find yourself struggling to see this beauty, try to help someone else see it when they feel it is all but gone. Helping them find it will help you find it. I hope that you enjoyed learning about religious difference in this way. I certainly enjoyed making this podcast. Thank you for all the support from my friends, old and new alike. Thank you to my family, and thank you to the handful of wonderful strangers for your help along the way. In closing, I have an audio clip from Holocaust survivor and psychiatrist Viktor Frankl, author of Man's Search for Meaning. Through the little barred windows of the prison carriage, he would never have believed that those were the faces of men who had given up all hope of life and liberty. Despite that factor, or maybe because of it, we were carried away by nature's beauty, which we had missed for so long. In camp, too, a man might draw the attention of a comrade working next to him to a nice view of the setting sun shining through the tall trees of the Bavarian woods, as in the famous watercolour by Dürer, the same woods in which we had built an enormous hidden munitions plant. One evening, when we were already resting on the floor of our hut, dead tired, soup bowls in hand, a fellow prisoner rushed in and asked us to run out to the assembly grounds and see the wonderful sunset. Standing outside, we saw sinister clouds glowing in the west, and the whole sky alive with clouds of ever-changing shapes and colours from steel blue to blood red. The desolate grey mud huts provided a sharp contrast, while the puddles on the muddy ground reflected the glowing sky. Then, after minutes of moving silence, one prisoner said to another, How beautiful the world could be!